gross, lackluster, lethargic. So many words to describe how the Indiana Pacers played in New Orleans. And yet all of them sell the team short. Ugly game by the Pacers against the Pelicans. We'll break it all down. Plus some other ripple effects from a potential Miles Turner extension. And talking Pacers Hawks with the game tonight. All coming today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in. To another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, boy, oh boy, is there a lot to dive into? First and foremost, ugh, ugly, ugly Pacers game in New Orleans, getting stomped by the shorthanded Pelicans. This is what the Pacers have done against these teams with players out. People were saying before the game, is this going to be a repeat of the Nets game? They can't overlook this Pelicans team. I don't know if they overlooked this Pelicans team, but they definitely got out-efforted. Ugh, ugly game. We'll break it all down. What went wrong for the Pacers? Can they correct this? This is uh, another problem they've been having, more so in the last couple of weeks than during the season, but something they've got to get going against these shorthanded teams. Then we'll talk... Something else that I d- overlooked in the Turner extension discussion yesterday, and that's everybody else, right? We talked a lot about Turner and the Pacers and the trade market, but not the other players and how they are impacted potentially by something like this or holistically from a roster perspective. And we'll close talking about the Atlanta Hawks, the Pacers' opponent tonight, back-to-back. Oof, tough, especially after a game like that against the Pelicans. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. That's pricepicks.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Talk more about them later. Let's dive right in today. Two Pacers Pelicans, which, again, ugh, ugh. I, you know, I just keep making noises because talking about it is difficult. This, this was ugly stuff, and it did not look like it was going to be this way, right? The Pacers were up 16-6, to six, six minutes into this game. Their defense looked good. They went small against New Orleans, right? New Orleans started huge. So the backstory of this game before that 16 to 6 start is, you know, yesterday the Pelicans on Christmas put out their injury report. Brandon Ingram was out, listed out. Uh, and one other player, Larry Nance, was listed questionable. And it was pretty normal stuff beyond that. And then today it comes out that Dyson Daniels is sick and he's not going to play. And Zion's still returning to conditioning from COVID and he's not going to play. And Trey Murphy is sick and he's not going to play. Ingram is still out. And there was uh, Herb Jones. Herb Jones is in health and safety protocols, right? So three starters, a lot of rotation guys. Pelicans are really deep, but that they were out a ton of dudes, right? So the Pacers are already looking much more favorable situation. And the Pelicans started huge. Najee, Marshall, Jackson Hayes, Jonas Valanciunas all starting. Even their bench had a bunch of huge guys. Larry Nance, Willie Aaron Gomez. The, they were huge. Pacers started small, and it worked out in their favor early on. Right, Neesmith, one of the only Pacers who had a like a good, impactful game. Starting at the four, that was kind of working. He had a nice pocket pass to Miles Turner. Miles Turner has six points right off the start. Halliburton has two assists. And the Pacers are up 16-6. to six. And now... I am three minutes and 40 seconds into this recording. Everything else I'm going to say about the Pacers, extremely negative, right? So they, uh, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They sucked from that point on in this game. They scored 16 points in the first under six minutes, right? They looked like they were rolling. They had something going. And then they had to make a sub. Uh, I don't know if it was exactly this time or right around this time that it had to happen. But Miles Turner picked up his second foul pretty early uh, in this game. Yes, 548 mark. It was 16 to 6 exactly when this happened. 
Pacers bring in Jalen Smith. They had to sub because Turner had two fouls. Pacers completely fall apart immediately, right? They get an Smith fadeaway jumper at the 530 mark of the quarter, and then they don't score again the rest of the quarter. Aaron Neesmith scored the Pacers' final points of the first quarter at the 530 mark, right? So they scored two points in the final six minutes of the quarter. Pelicans get it to 24-18. Ugly, ugly stuff for the Pacers offensively. So the bench was awful. As soon as Turner came out, the Pacers fell apart. And that's not even, it wasn't even that Turner was playing amazing. This is not a credit of Turner. This is just the Pacers just, as soon as their bench had to start coming in and they were mixing and matching, they lost it all. And then in the early second quarter, nothing else really happened, right? It looked like they had a shot. Matherin dunked it, uh, or excuse me, laid it up early in the second. He had a three. I think they were around four at that point. Like they got some offensive mojo back. And he hit the three to get the Pacers to 23 at 10 26 to go in the second quarter. The Pacers did not score their 24th point until the 6.30 mark of that frame. From the 6.07 mark of the first quarter to the 6.30 mark of the second quarter. I just said the second quarter twice. From the 6.07 mark of the first quarter to the 6.30 mark of the second quarter, the Pacers scored seven points. That is 23 seconds shy of one quarter of basketball. Pacers scored seven points. Their offense in this game was awful. They finished with 93 points. They lost 113-93. I'm jumping way ahead now. But that was the, uh, the big moment of this game to me. They go from up 10, rolling. They look great. As soon as the bench comes in, ugh, awful. And they never recover. They never, ever looked like they were going to make this a game from that point on. And when when Halliburton hit the technical foul free throw to finally get them a point again in the in the quarter, it was their second run of more than four minutes without scoring. They were not 20. That's what they lost by, right? That, that was the game. This 12-minute stretch where they could not score was the game. They played them evenly the rest of the way. That's still not noble <laughs> to play them evenly when you're already down 20, but that was the difference. They looked miserable. Their offense looked awful all night, and the Pacers end up losing, and you'll never believe it, but against a shorthanded team, the Pacers did not give enough effort on the glass, right? they Look, sometimes rebounding stats are dumb to me, Be, not because rebounding isn't important, but because obviously if a team misses more shots than the other team, the other team's going to have more rebounds. They have more chances to get a rebound. But that's not what happens to the Pacers in these games. This is exactly what happened against the Nets. They get killed on the effort glass. The, the, the Pelicans had 16 offensive rebounds. Valanciunas did exactly what he's done against the Pacers almost all the time outside of the first game these two teams played this year. Six offensive boards. He had 20-12. He dominated. He had six offensive boards himself. That's how many the Pacers had as a team. The Pelicans had 16. They end up with 26 second chance points. In fact, guess what? The Pelicans won the second chance points battle by 18 in the 20-point win. Sounds important, right? Rebounding was important. Defensive glass, Pelicans won that by eight as well. That's where I always, you know, they forced one more miss. Like, obviously, they're going to be able to get more, but, you know, the Pacers lost the glass again, and they got out-efforted, right? It was it was hardly that they, you know, it was just long bounces or freak stuff. There was a lot of in-the-paint boards ugly can't have that right and even rick carlisle on the stand valley sports tweeted it out i wasn't there um said you know that they, they track loose balls that uh, they track how many you know, how many loose balls there are and how many of the pacers get i think he said they were three for 15 or something three for 12 in the first half and four for something in the second half like they got seven out of over 20 loose balls right they got smoked in a lot of effort stats and that is how reflective of how they looked especially in offense in that awful stretch where they could not score. They looked lethargic. They looked bogged down. They couldn't do anything. And yes, some of that's that they missed, but some of that is that they just weren't playing the same way. Like some of my notes are, 
They're not getting as close to the rim as they usually do on drives. They're not making the last pass that they do in a lot of these games, and they look disconnected, right? Some of that is very generic. Some of that's very specific, but it wasn't working at all. And so they end up with a couple numbers that are obviously important. 23 assists. It's not awful, but you know, not Pacers usually closer to 25, 26 on their best nights. Nine made threes. Second time this season that the Pacers have made less than 10 threes. They made nine threes. Live and die by the three. They died in this game. When the Pacers make 12, excuse me, when they make fewer than 12 threes in a game, they're now one and seven. Yeah, obviously, team makes less shots, scores less points. But, you know, they are a three-point shooting team to an extent, and they made very few in this game. They get killed in the effort. They can't overcome it with shooting. They shoot 70% of the line. They just played really crummy basketball in this game. There's no way to slice it. Nobody, uh, Neesmith played okay. Turner started okay. Um, But the rest of the game, you didn't feel his impact as much. No, nobody really played well in this game. Matherin ends up leading the team in scoring with 15. He was four for 11, but he got to the line six times. Uh, nobody really stood out. It, it was really, really ugly stuff from the Pacers. And Carlisle was trying a lot of stuff, to his credit, uh, because nothing seemed to be working uh, to get his team going in this game, right? He tried zone. He mixed up the rotation, brings in the double big lineup with Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson off the bench. And then Smith kind of gets hurt, I think, because he only played six and a half minutes. He was questionable before the game anyway, but he was mixing and matching. And then the zone in the second half and then Goga's playing a little bit, although the game was kind of decided at that point. But they had to try stuff. He tried everything, different sub patterns, different strategies. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. The Pacers didn't have it in this game. And and look, that, that, that happens in the NBA, but it can't. It can't. The Pacers should have been the favorites in this game, and they played horrible. They, they, there are no excuses for the way they played. This was, to me, their second-worst performance of the season. I still think that they only lost by three in that Nets game. They scored 130-something points. I think that was worse. Like, the, the opponents they, they had in that game and how badly they got out-efforted on the glass and how badly they blew it in the last couple of minutes, I think that's the worst loss for them. It was at home, too. But this is up there. They played really crummy in this game, and Thankfully for them, back-to-back Atlanta tonight, they can flush it and forget it and move on, and I think a lot of people do like that, but uh, it's not going to be easy to do, right? That is an ugly one, and this is not to discredit the Pelicans' talent. You know, Zion and Ingram are out, sure, but Valanciunas is a starter. CJ McCollum, talked about him on the preview yesterday, has been playing awesome basketball recently. He was really good uh, passing the ball specifically in this game despite his shot not falling. Jackson Hayes was awesome. Najee Marshall was awesome. Like They had talent on that team. Jake Madison from Lockdown Pelicans did a whole bit about this is one of the deepest teams in the league. I agree. But the Pacers were the more talented team, and they did not play anything like it. And that stretch from mid-first quarter to mid-second quarter, probably, to me, the worst stretch of basketball the Pacers have played this entire season. So there it goes. Their momentum from last week is gone. They're back to 500. We'll see. Look, I give this team a lot of credit. They always respond. They always, at the right time, have responded to this stuff. I said they might not respond after they dipped under 500 last week. And guess what? They still did it. So maybe they will. Maybe they won't this time. The Hawks are another opportunity for them to do it. The other problem, though, is they give themselves a lot of opportunities to respond to crummy stuff. They have to stop doing that. It's all on Pacers Pels. There's a lot that was crummy in this game. You can look at any stat, basically, and it's going to be in the bottom 10-5 of the Pacers' performances this season. Let's pivot. The big story from yesterday, this weekend, whenever it was. I talked about it yesterday, which is why I say that. Miles Turner and the Pacers reportedly opened to a contract extension. We already talked about that. That was yesterday's show, if you're interested in that. But we talked a lot about Turner, a lot about what it would mean for him, the mechanics of an extension, and 
what it would mean for the trade market. We, we didn't talk about, and by we, I mean me, is what it means for the other guys on the Pacers, right? The other bigs, their cap situation, future spending, all that sort of stuff. And that's all honestly an equal part of this discussion. I want to cut, cut through that and then move that off to the side until something happens. And then we'll talk about the Hawks to close out today's show. So let's do that before we talk Miles Turner stuff, though. Let me talk to you guys about prize picks. You could take Luka Doncic to score more than 26 and a half points, LeBron to have more than seven and a half rebounds, Kevin Durant to have more than six and a half assists. Whatever you think will happen in the NBA that night, you can do it on prize picks. That's all it is. That's how it works. You pick two to six players, are they going to score more or less in their prize picks projection? If you get them right, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people, just you versus the projections. That's what I love about it. You're not going against other people who do more research than you. It's just you versus prize picks projections. They offer projections on any sport you watch, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college sports. You can make your picks in 60 seconds or less. It's safe. There's fast withdrawals, and it's operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the prize picks app or Go to prizepicks.com, sign up, play daily fantasy sports. First-time users will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. You deposit $100, they'll give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50. You get the gist, but you got to use that promo code Locked On when you sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix daily fantasy made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Like I said, Locked on Pelicans, your second listen. Jake Madison will talk to you about how the Pelicans pulled this off and made the Pacers look flimsy, embarrassed, whatever term you want to use. My headline, we used the word embarrassed because they did not play very well. Moving on from that, though, uh, yesterday's show was all about the Miles Turner report from Shamshrani and The Athletic, how the, him and the team are reportedly open to discussing a contract extension that does not mean one will happen. Many layers to that. Yesterday's show is all about what it means for Turner, why the Pacers maybe want to do it, why he maybe wants to do it, and the trade market. What we didn't talk about is the rest of the players uh, and what it means for the rest of the Pacers. And I think that is something I want to cover before I leave this topic behind until something else happens. And I think that the, the easiest and biggest chunk, the biggest bite out of the team this would take, looking is looking at the front court rotation, right? Because... Right now, as it stands, Miles Turner's contract is expiring. And so, if they don't extend him, and they either trade him or lose him for nothing, they have Jalen Smith. They have Daniel Tice under contract right now. I don't know what's going to happen with them. They have Isaiah Jackson. Goga's under contract. He could be a restricted free agent. They have a lot of bigs in position to step into a bigger role. That doesn't mean those guys are necessarily ready for it or a part of the core, or a guaranteed part of the core, you know, whatever. But... The, the, the percentages suggest you have a rotation big, maybe two, for next year on your team already. And if they keep Miles Turner, this is not a reason not to keep Miles Turner, to be very clear. But if they do keep Miles Turner, if Miles Turner is extended, if he's the starting center for the Indiana Pacers next season and maybe even farther, all of a sudden, you have to look at what this means for those players, right? Because already there's a situation, Jalen Smith, right? promised the starting four spot. They really wanted to keep him, liked his potential a lot. Rick Carlisle loves him as a person. He, you know, he said that when they signed him. He's their backup center now. Like, is, he, is that the right role for him long-term? I think that's a perfect role for him. But, you know, is that what makes the most sense long-term there? Isaiah Jackson's getting some, some DNPs recently because of 
you know, Jalen Smith's the backup five. Miles Turner's the starting five. They go with O'Shea Brissett as the bench four. All of a sudden, there's no minutes for Isaiah Jackson, right? And so if Turner is back long-term and Jalen Smith is also under contract for next season and potentially another one given, you know, uh, his his contract extends beyond this year. All of a sudden, is Isaiah Jackson not playing? Uh, Goga is an afterthought because he's also an expiring contract, but uh, an in theory consideration, right? You need a deep, big a depth big excuse me for injuries. Daniel Tice, same thing. He's under contract next season. Now, all those guys need minutes or development time at some point. Not all of them. Some of those guys need minutes or development time at some point, right? And it's it's they got drafted by the Pacers in recent seasons, many of them. Jalen Smith did not, but uh, they gave up Torrey Craig for him. Uh, that is the biggest ripple effect of a Turner extension is if Turner is locked up, all of a sudden, one or two of those guys have to become trade candidates immediately. The second pen hits paper, if if one happens, because you are not using your roster spots or your assets well if you are letting your first-round picks or former first-round picks, whatever, toil on the bench and not, and not develop. And, then, and again, this is not a reason not to extend Turner. What this is is a ripple effect of a Turner extension. And what it means for those guys, they're already struggling to get all of them minutes if they, if they want to, right? Clearly, they want to play Isaiah Jackson, right? They, they focus on the simple stuff with him. They want to get him out here, out there, explore that athleticism. They really liked him. They traded up for him. They gave up stuff to get Isaiah Jackson. They don't just give up on that in a year and a half. It's not like he's done anything wrong or even, you know, had a shaky development year. They just have a lot of picks in their ecosystem. It's just how it is. And so if Turner stays... What's the plan there? How do they get him out there? Do they play him at the four? And if so, then O'Shea Brissett suddenly becomes a casualty. Do they try to get stuff for him, right? Terry Taylor would never be playing ever. He's already not playing that much, right? You understand what I'm saying. The ripple effect becomes, do they suddenly not want to commit to one of those picks? Would they think about moving Jalen Smith? They just signed him, right? They, they maybe should have traded Goga in the past, but that's not here nor there. The, the key ripple part of this is they have they already have too many bigs, but the thought is that that would sort itself out this season. If Turner's extended, that's the opposite <laughs> of the of what the prevailing thought was. And so then it becomes, how do you figure out how to use these guys and as assets or as players? And labeling players assets sucks. I hate doing that. But you have to think that way for the team and rebuild in this situation. Like how, what is the best situation for these players in the NBA? Is it on our team? And if not, what can what can we do better for them, and how does that help us? And that is the biggest direct hit ripple effect on the Pacers from this. That's not Turner related necessarily, and isn't you know Pacers trade related this year. Is they're going to have to sort if if something happens with Turner and extension, they'll have to sort out the reserve big situation. If that means Isaiah Jackson is playing way more four, or Jalen Smith goes back to being the starting four, and Isaiah Jackson's playing more four, whatever it would take. Whatever, whoever the casualty is, someone else on the team, if Turner puts pen to paper, suddenly becomes a trade candidate very quickly. Maybe that's O'Shea Brissett. Maybe it's Jalen Smith. Maybe it's Isaiah Jackson. I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't know. I, it's, it's whoever the Pacers decide. It, you know, there's justification for all of them in theory, but th that is something they would have to think about to me. Is what is the natural fallout there? The other factor here. This one's much smaller. Look. Cap space is a thing, and the Pacers are going to have some of it next year. Um, but if Turner gets an extension, he would be under contract next season, and that eats into the Pacers' space next year. Now, it's not a big deal. 
um, that, that, you know, cap space matters to the Pacers in a rebuild less than uh, theoretically other teams. But th- that, that is another factor is as you look into next season, right next off season, they project have, or they currently, excuse me, have the second most. I'm on the wrong year. I open the wrong tab. I hate when I do that. Um, they have a lot of cap space coming their way, potentially, right? Uh, potentially the third most in the league next summer, depending on how things shake out. And um, as of right now, it looks that way. And even the projected numbers say they're going to be you know, third or fourth. And that's a bunch. And it eats into that. And all of a sudden, they go down from fourth to like 10th or 11th. And you know, how does that matter to them? And then factor C is, Tyrus Halberton is going to be making, you know, 30 plus million dollars in, in two years from now. If you have Turner on the books, you're getting close to not having flexibility anymore, right? You're one signing away. And that's not a big deal. You know, Halliburton's number doesn't hit the books until two seasons from now, but it does, you know, you are really putting a lot of eggs in the free agency basket for next summer when you actually have that space to use it because it goes away internally very quickly. So it, it while it also it pushes the Pacers timeline forward because they have paid a good player in their mid twenties and said, yes, we're committing to this veteran. It also is we're pushing our timeline forward because we have less time with flexibility. Now we have to, we, you know, we have to be aggressive in next season to use this space before this one good player gets expensive. And that, you know, maybe it's Chris Duarte gets expensive or who knows what his future holds or eventually Benedict Matherin is going to get expensive, right? How does this is all, way too far in the future but you have to think about these things too and how much turner's deal would impact that sort of stuff the length matters the money matters that's why the fact that a renegotiation extension can drop so much is important so look this is all stuff the pacers will certainly think about the stuff for i think everyone to consider is what this all means for everybody else and how it would change the pacers approach at the deadline i think that all is just as big a part of the story because all those players are also a part of the pacers future their flexibility is a big part of their team building stuff. And there's a lot that could still go on with this. There's a game tonight, a basketball game in Cambridge Fieldhouse for the first time in over a week. Looking forward to being back as Nate McMillan's back in the building and a couple more former Pacers. The Hawks is quietly becoming a former Pacer hotbed. We'll talk Pacers Hawks after a short little break, previewing the action tonight. Before we do that, though. Let me tell you guys about betonline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, news, and analysis. You can get the latest and greatest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college football, bowl season. The World Cup was just on there. Basketball's there, of course. They've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. They've got all the NFL lines up for this week. Thursday night, Titans, Cowboys, last game of 2022. Crazy stuff. Cowboys favored by 10, even in Tennessee. I cannot believe the calendar is about to turn to another year. But they've got all those lines and more at betonline.net. Head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online is where the game starts. Thank you, as always. For making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Locked On Hawks. Brad Rowland does a great job covering that team. I love the way he talks about the Hawks and breaks down Atlanta basketball. Great guests. He's got a great bubble of people uh, in his circle. And that is, of course, the team in Indy for the first time tonight. Normally, I would love to talk with Brad, but had to talk about the Pelicans game and Turner Ripple stuff today. And obviously, I did not expect Brad to watch Pacers Pelicans. Um... Let's talk about the Hawks. The Hawks, one unique team. They're good, but they're not as good as they thought they would be. Uh, 
They are an Nate McMillan team very much, though, and I think that is a fascinating part of who they are. I think of the Hawks as an offensive team, just like in my head with my gut, and they are 11th in defense and 18th in offense. So that is nothing <laughs> at this stage. But yeah, it's very fascinating, right? Head coach and A. McMillan, you know, a Pacer, Pacers coach known for at least that stretch for a little bit. They also have uh, Justin Holiday on their roster, firmly in their rotation, uh, 16 minutes a game. Aaron Holiday on that roster, also firmly in their rotation, about 17 minutes a game. They have become... A little Pacers hotbed over there, right? Getting all the Holiday Brothers and Nate McMillan in the door. Very fun to see uh, those guys playing together again. And they'll be playing against the Pacers, right? Uh, Justin Holiday did return last year with the Kings. Aaron Holiday's played against them with the Suns in the interim and the Wizards. But it's always fun to see former Pacers. There are many with this Hawks team. And the Hawks are kind of good. They're 17 and 16. They've won three of their last four. Despite some off-court ruffles, they just changed their GM. They're still a good team, right? They're in the playoff picture in the East for a reason because they have one of the best three guards, point guards, I should say, in the Eastern Conference and Trey Young. And that will be the most fun part of this game to me is Trey versus Tyrese, right? How do the point guards battle? How does that shake out? Two of the best combination shooter passers in the NBA, right? Neither of them are particularly good defenders, but seeing how they go, Against each other will be fascinating. And Trey's season has been interesting because his passing's been great. Ten assists per game. Okay, point one shy of that. But the scoring is still there. He's doing well inside the arc this year. 28 points per game. Shooting awful from three. 31.1% for Trey Young on pretty high volume, over seven a game, right? Like that is a, a very low number, lowest of his career. He was above or at league average the last couple of years. And that's why his scoring has dipped from last year, right? Most of his other percentage stats. Uh, about the same, although he did peak in two-point percentage last year as well. Just a much harder situation for him, so the two-time All-Star is is not having the same numeric season, but buoyed a little bit now. He's, he's got DeJounte Murray, an All-Star last year, who's a beast on both ends of the floor. Good rebounding guard. He's just great. He is a joy for me to watch. Um, so the Hawks, besides Trey Young, I think that will be the biggest story of this game, is Tyrese Halberton versus Trey Young. Can either one of them Seize control of the game. Trey has historically done extremely well against the Pacers, but they play a little different, right? Than the, the Hawks of, of yesteryear, coached by Pacers assistant Lloyd Pierce, that shot a little more from three. Under Nate McMillan, they don't, right? They do not. Uh, you'll never believe this. A Nate McMillan team, uh, bottom five in three-point attempts per game, 31.1 for Atlanta. They're 29th in the league in three-pointers made per game. They're 27th in the league in three-point percentage. They're not a good shooting team. But they have guys who have a rep of shooting, so it's not like they're easy to defend because of that. They're just not, on paper, a good shooting team, which is different. What they do do really well, another Nate McMillan thing, but also the, their roster is good at this. Awesome drives team, right? They get really close to the rim all the time. They attack you relentlessly at the basket. Hugely important game for Miles Turner. It looks like Clint Capella is not going to play. He's on the injury report as not playing in the scam, although... The Pelicans injury report changed dramatically. You never know. Either way, they're first in the league in two-point makes per game, first in two-point attempts, right? They love to get into the paint, score around the basket, drive, come at you all game long. Trey's good at it. DeJounte's great at it. John Collins can finish around the rim. Bogdanovich can finish around the rim. Okongwu's a good at the rim big. DeAndre Hunter even getting better in that way. They're coming at the Pacers the whole game. Point of attack defense, very important. Miles Turner, very important. They just have to be great at that. And another big thing to monitor with the Hawks, they never turn it over, ever. Fourth in the league and the fewest 
turnovers per game, second best turnover rate in the NBA. Fantastic thing for a Trey Young team to not be a turnover machine this year, despite him being a high turnover guy. Not crazy for his usage, but you know they are a good turnover team. They take care of the ball. They get extra possessions for their highly efficient two-point offensive system. Pacers now have to also take care of the ball. They cannot get waxed in the possession game like they just did against New Orleans earlier tonight, like the Pelicans took seven more shots from the field and four more free throws. That's a lot to overcome. Even on 40% shooting, that's starting down eight, nine points, right? Like that, that is hard to overcome. They have got to be better taking care of the ball and keep themselves in the possession game, which again, against Atlanta is tough. They're 10th in rebounding, uh, their defensive rebound rate better than their offensive rebound rate, but they don't turn the ball over. So they have the ball a lot. That's a big deal for the Pacers. Last thing the Hawks do well, they defend the three well. They only they give up the sixth fewest threes per game, fourth fewest makes, right? Their opponents shoot only 34% from deep. They do a great job defending the three-point line. Again, Nate McMillan defense principles are solid. Uh, that That is something that the Hawks do very well. They give up a lot of fouls, though, right? They, they, they Especially with Capella out, they will be a team that the Pacers need to kind of play like the Hawks. Drive, get to the rim, do the stuff they didn't do against the Pelicans, right? Get all the way to the rim, make that extra pass, make that defense move. They're not as good protecting and, uh, and defending the two as they are the three. That's where the Pacers can kind of push in on this Hawks defense and make stuff happen. So the key matchups to me, Trey versus Albert, and obviously two offensive beasts who can't really defend. Turner doing whatever he can around the rim. And the bench has to step up for the Pacers at some point. They they were really good against the Heat. That was actually – or the Celtics, excuse me. That was a key part of the Pacers winning that game is they won the non-Halbert minutes in the first half that let them play Halbert more in the fourth quarter, which was huge. They need to do better in the bench minutes. The Hawks bench is not particularly strong. Pacers bench has to, has to, has to win it those minutes in that game. And they have not been doing that recently. So lots to watch out for in this game. I think the Pacers can be talks. I think they could have beaten the Pelicans and they lost by 20. So what do I know at this time? But we'll see. It's going to be a very fun one. I have enjoyed watching Atlanta this season, despite their struggles and kind of chemistry woes. I can't explain it. They just have a bunch of guys who are threatening and, and exciting and, and dance around the court. And the way they move around is just appealing to me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this game. And I hope you do too. Tomorrow, of course, we'll be talking about it uh, here on Lockdown Pacers. What happened, the biggest side story of the game. And we'll be talking a lot about, of course, the Pacers this week. The best moments of 2022 will be coming up. We'll talk uh, the Cavs game, the Clippers game. It's all coming here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. You will not want to miss it. And any breaking news will, of course, jump all over. So thank you guys a ton for listening. Hope you had a fantastic day. We will see you tomorrow.